This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Welcome, everybody, to this podcast on the Angaza Awards. We're very excited to have Esohe Denise Odaro with us today. Uh, Esohe is the Head of Investor Relations at the International Finance Corporation. Welcome, Esohe. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here, Nuru. We are very excited that you have carved time out in your very busy schedule. I know you deal with weighty issues that are very dynamic. So thank you for joining us from Washington, D.C. Um, you know, anything that has to do with uh, women and Africa, you got me with those two words. And so here I am. I would make anything happen for this to happen. Thank you. You are one of our greatest exports within our sector. So we're excited. <laughs> we're excited to have you here. So let's just get right into it. Um, so maybe for those of us who uh, may not have the pleasure of watching your star rise. Uh, could you tell us about your role and the function you play at the IFC? Sure. So my role at IFC, and I, I think most people know what IFC is, it is essentially the part of the World Bank that lends money or makes investments in the private sector. So I work at the Treasury here, and my role is head of investor relations. And what that really means is that I spend my time strategizing as to how to make sure that fixed income bond investors around the world um, invest in IFC bonds. Now, the program is a $17 billion program a year, which means that my team have to raise that amount of money. And the $17 billion then goes towards the loans and investments that we make um, to uh, private sector across emerging markets. So it's quite a heady role, I would say, um, but it doesn't, in fact, I, I would say, tell the real story of what is behind that. And that is, for me, as a little girl, you know, I was obsessed with civil liberties and development in particular on the continent. And I think through my career, I've come to this point now in this current job where there is a marriage of all those things that I, I enjoy and thrive. And I hope we get to talk about that for, uh, during the rest of the podcast. But really, it is a role that encompasses finance, which I just explained, and then being able to tell the story of the impact of finance to a very wide audience. Thank you. And, you know, um, just those numbers are staggering. 17 billion that your, your, your mandate is to raise that capital uh, through the global capital markets. And, you know, Esohe, the work that you do touches millions because IFC then takes that capital and on-lends it to financial institutions and banks in particular across the continent. So any financial institution that's working with IFC on the continent is benefiting from a lot of your labor. Um, and then also on the private equity side, is that correct? Indeed, that's correct. So key things that we do is the provision of debt, like you said, equity investments and advisory. So a lot of our investments, and in particular, we can talk about the investments in the women's sector or to, to promote gender, tends to come with technical assistance as well to uh, enable those institutions, particularly the financial institutions, to be able to reach um, women entrepreneurs, as an example. And, and you're just so awesome. I think it's awesome to know that there's a black woman behind every single dollar that IFC is lending on the continent. I just love that. Um, so tell us about your... <laughs> 
tell us about your path. Tell us about your path to running with such a heavy agenda at the IFC. Um, is it a traditional path or would you say it's non-traditional? I, I think that um, I would say that my path has been somewhat non-traditional. You know, I'm, um, my background was law and my mother was a lawyer and um, I, my father was a banker. So I grew up with two professions in my household. But I always wanted to do law because I felt that it was a way to um, achieve the goals at the time through my uh, perhaps juvenile mind that I um, aspired to. So essentially what I was, like I mentioned earlier, was I was very passionate about, you know, why is it that there's so much crime, you know, in certain parts of Nigeria, which is um, where I'm from? And why is it that, you know, women don't have access to certain um, services, etc.? So those kind of things. And in the end, I, I, I thought that law was the way to do that. So, But obviously, I qualified as a barrister and then I worked in investment banking. And so my first real job was at Goldman Sachs and then um, a GE. And, and so these things that at the time seemed to have happened somewhat by chance have led me to this, to where I am today. So in my current role, I'm obviously not a practicing barrister. But I am able to bring with me a lot of the skills that I got from that training, you know, advocacy, uh, being able to relate to research and, and to put forward um, arguments that make sense. This is what I have to do because as we issue around 300 bonds a year, I mean, and having these attempting to have these bilateral relationships with most of the, uh, the global capital markets, uh, kingpins, shall we say, it takes a lot of all those skills. So definitely not a traditional part, I would say. So very interesting what you're saying in terms of the impact and influence of your upbringing and also what you are passionate about and how that has led you uh, to where you are now. So uh, along your journey, what would you say are the top three lessons you learned? Right. I love this question. I think it's so important um, to reflect. Um, and for me, I think... I will call them the uh, TTC. So three things. First one is to find what you thrive at. So funny, funny side story. When I was, uh, when I finished my A-levels, I had a cousin who was in IT and he was so happy with his job because he seemed to earn a lot of money. And, you know, he tried to convince me to look into doing that. Needless to say, when he, I spent half a day with him, I realized that I would rather watch paint dry. Not to say that it is not a viable, um, obviously, profession, but it just wasn't for me. I think finding what you enjoy doing is more important than finding what you think will pay initially. And that could be a subsector of where you are in finance, right? So I started off within the loan market, um, but more on the legal side of things. And then I realized that, well, actually, I want to be part of decision making. And that's where I thrive. So I think once you find that um, segment of, okay, what am I good at and what do I enjoy? That's where really, in the end, you will find success. The second one is to try. And it seems easy enough. But I joined the World Bank through the Young Professionals Program. And by and large, when you look on paper, that may seem like something that if you look at my CV, like, okay, this kind of makes sense. But it's not quite true because I do tell everyone who reaches out to me on this. I applied for eight years. Every single year, I would dust off that CV, write a cover letter. And when I eventually got that call, 
to interview, I thought it was a prank. A friend was playing on me because I'd been applying for so long. So I think you just persistence, you know, and, and um, I think for, for women of color in particular, that being thick skinned is of benefit. And, you know, just, you know, water off a duck's back when you do um, come across naysayers, etc. And then third, I would say, is to champion others. If you spend more time championing people, you are creating essentially a community of backers. And that is how you will excel. And you will stand on the shoulder of giants because you've lifted those people up. And by and large, they will do the same to you. So those to me, I would say the three things that I have learned in my career that I continue to pursue. And I look for, in fact, the first, um, the first two in people that I interview for jobs. I love that acronym, TTC. It's um, <laughs> so awesome because, and, and you really walked us through a wonderful learning experience in terms of really that idea of it's not always about the money. Um, sustainability right. comes from doing things that you're passionate about and things that you're good at. Um, and that applies actually for the employed world and those of us who are entrepreneurs and business owners. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, that's fantastic. And eight years of trying something, I know <laughs> there is this one company that I've given up on. When, from my college days until I got hired at Barclays, I applied at Coca-Cola. I can tell you every year I wanted to go <laughs> like a decade and it never happened. And I'm glad it didn't happen because the last interview I did at Coca-Cola, they gave me some very clear feedback as to why I'm not getting the job. Um, and I use that feedback to launch into a whole new career space, which is public affairs. So, and I don't plan to work at Coca-Cola. <laughs> I plan yeah, well, to stay in the financial like sector. Loss. Well, there you go. Yeah. I think that's so fascinating to hear, you know, that sometimes it does take that. It does take, you know, it does take reflection and inflection um, to, to achieve success. Indeed, and success can be defined differently, right? So for 10 years, I tried Indeed. to work at an institution. I did not succeed. But that engagement and learning from that process was my launch pad for a whole new different career. So, so we need to redefine what failure is. What Absolutely. do you think? Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, what some define, well, I think it's interesting, actually, because uh, the, the, the definition of success, I totally agree, is a personal one. And, you know, and I think it's, to me, being able to make decisions that impact your life so that your life is more enjoyable. That, to me, is success. And I think, you know, I don't think, and it's recognizing the things that you can control and the things that you cannot control. But the things that you can control, doing something about those. I love that. Now, just shifting gears to the Angaza Awards. So you're a judge for the 2021 Angaza Awards. It's a Pan-African Award, and we're so excited to have you um, be one of the judges. And you have supported many other events on the continent. Uh, and you spoke about, you know, issues around governance and civil liberties that you're really passionate about and gender and but could you crystallize it a little bit more why you feel it's important, particularly for the financial sector, to focus on matters of gender? So the first part of it uh, to your question as to um, why is it important to, to support financial, sec um, financial sector initiatives, there is no way that we can achieve any, any of the sustainable development goals 
or sustainable development, however you want to define it, without finance. So I think your listeners should take a moment to recognize that, that you are in an industry where real impact can happen. You can shift business models, right? So if the decision maker ultimately is where is the wallet in the end, that's how the world has been working and how unfortunately it's going to continue working and maybe fortunately for some of us who are in the industry. And what you want is for that wallet to be paying things that will make the world a better place. When you look at then gender and the gender gap, what I would like to see, to be honest, is that we even go beyond um, what has already occurred. What has already occurred is that there's been some very little progress in terms of bringing in women into providing access to capital to women. But that is all you tend to hear about. And then the next being a women on boards, right? And these targets are targets that are relatively fluid. But what you need to do is you need to bring in a pipeline of viable and just, you know, the talent that's out there tapping into that. And I think on the continent in particular, for the goals that we should have achieved by now and that are within our reach, we need to see equity, gender equity. And there was a a photo very recently um, of, um, I think it was... um, Angela Merkel and some of the um, the African ministers. And it was so interesting to see, of course, you had the African ministers and there was no woman there. It is not to say, of course, that we do have countries in Africa that do have some gender representation at that level, but I would love to see more and I'm sure that you would too. Um, there is no way that we can truly achieve what we want without that parity. And I want to take a moment to say what I mean by that. So the difference between equality and equity, right? So... Equality is saying that you're treating people fairly now, but equity is bringing up those who have been unfairly treated previously. And so I liken this often to looking over a garden hedge. If you're looking over a garden hedge and there are two of you and one person is really tall, you can't say, okay, equality, because you're both looking over the same hedge. No, you need to lift the person who's shorter so that they can see over the hedge. That is equity and that's what we need to do with gender. So fantastic. Thank you about that. And you talked about this aspect of, you know, that photo of finance ministers. We all know that photo of the G7. And then, you know, they sprinkle, uh, you know, people who look like us just for purposes. Um, so, so tell me, what would it take to get more Black African women at that global stage, uh, the Angela Merkel, Janice Yellen stage level? You know, if you're absolutely right. And and I, I want to take a moment out there to just champion uh, the one person that we have at the moment who is our Director General of the, the World Trade Organization, uh, Ngozi Okunjo-Iweala. And I was so excited when she got um, that appointment because, as you say, I mean, what a difference it would make. And, and talking about, by the way, uh, the treatment of women at that level, I'm not sure if, if you all got to see this, but very recently the... Um, the newspaper that had branded headline grandmother gets the job the the head job at wto had i know been, um, so offensive <laughs> really offensive i mean yes. just unbelievably offensive in, in this day and age so i the way that i think that that can be done um quite honestly is building a pipeline of women how do you do that so it's not just hiring and bringing in women into various um, streams that could ultimately lead here. But what I've learned in my career, which is that 
it's not just bringing you've got to give people the opportunity you've got to empower women to have opportunity and what really that means is that you put them on the projects that will have spotlight that they will be able to speak up on the things that they're working on not just at the back somewhere and having them for numbers which is in some cases what tends to happen so i do think that right now that there's the momentum we've had over the last year very sadly with the black lives matter movement and what we've seen i mean being here in washington was just outrageous just living it was so depressing um but understandable to see that we've reached this peak um where people just going to take it anymore but what that's led to is that we have uh, globally more at least it seems so overt effort to bring in not only diversity but to be conscious of bias and i think that in on the continent we're somewhat lucky where that bias is not the same as we have here we have a different kind of bias there um but what i i hope that means is that the empowering and bringing up women and and i i want to end by saying that this here this initiative of the engaza awards is exactly the sort of thing that we need replication of throughout the continent empowering women and being able to uh, provide them the mentorship the sponsorship that women need to get to the next level indeed so angaza is like you know shining a light and and you you talked about that the need to spotlight women and and i you you make me remember there are two ladies that won the 2020 angaza awards one of them is miss lena um who is a ceo of ncba bank in rwanda and she said when the news came out on you know in the media and social media about her being recognized as a top woman to watch in banking and finance in east africa the the media one of the articles said we didn't know there were two women bank ceos in rwanda until wow. ngasa awards so so there is that need to just uncover these women who are just quietly shaping their organizations quietly doing the work as we women will do you know when you think about that woman carrying firewood on her back she's not doing it for recognition she's doing it to feed her family get a little money yeah. but, but and that's that's the nature of a woman right So we do need more forums to just shine a spotlight on that woman who's quietly shaping an organization and from that now uh Miss Lena has really gotten some traction around some of the gender work she's been trying to do at her bank another lady is Miss Millicent at the African Development Bank um also Jonita uh who recently got appointed to the Minister Ministry of Finance in Uganda um she was recognized for her work in South Sudan and and you talk about bias right i think coming from kenya we have this bias that kenya is the center the hub of finance in east africa so anyone who's you know sharp sharp on finance will come from kenya but when we started hearing stories from south sudan from rwanda from uganda you start you humble yourself because you realize that we need yeah. to change our mental model of what a leader in finance should look like and That's and we true. you know so we just we really need to understand that a bank in 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 Kenya can hire a woman ceo from south sudan it's possible but we think you, you see we think about a certain type a male you know from kenya versus a a young 30 year old woman from south sudan so these forums are so important to help change and you know help us put a, a different spin to what leadership looks like in finance in africa 
I think you put it very nicely. And every woman in finance, even mid-level in, in, in Africa, has probably had, you know, times like I did when you go into meetings and you're with your, your junior colleague who is male and people are talking to him instead of talking to you, even though you're the boss. And they just assume that he's a decision maker, uh, you know. And so I think you're absolutely right. In spotlighting women um, in leadership positions, you begin to change that perception, just that automatic of what a leader should look like. And this is where these kind of initiatives certainly make a difference. Great. So as a judge, you're going to be going through many entries. Could you clue us in and give us a tip in terms of what you'll be looking at uh, when you're going through the entries for the Angaza Awards? It's amazing, right? Because, you know, the last year's winners, as you said, and rightfully so, looking at those profiles, I mean, my gosh, how impressive are these women? And I think for me, it also comes back to the TTC in a way. Because I think that a person who is um, doing something that is not just a job to them means that you go over and above what you're doing because you enjoy your role, you enjoy what you're doing or the meaning of the core purpose of it. So I would be looking for that. I'm looking also for um, persistence and perseverance, the ability to overcome obstacles, you know, and, and to, you know, land on one's feet. And the third is that again, championing, right? So the, the, this is the, in the end, how you, it's the fertilizer of all of this is that you champion and you bring others with you. So that ability of a person to be able to reach and touch a wider audience than had been before is what I would be seeking. Wonderful. What about doing things differently? Um, are there any areas you think that women in finance need to do things differently? Um, so I think, you know, there's a lot at the moment about uh, about imposter syndrome. And um, oftentimes, I, I've always thought, well, why, why do they keep saying women in imposter syndrome as though we're the only ones who have that issue? But I will say that some of the things that can be done differently, in uh, you know, on a personal level is that we ought to, you know, claim our space. And I say that in the sense that um, not making excuses for you being where, where you are. We oftentimes have to juggle a lot more than our male colleagues. Some of us are mums. And that obviously means a very different kind of life, especially if you're pursuing um, a finance career and a more senior level. So I think being able to own our space, and when you look at some of the women that you mentioned earlier, Janet Yellen, you know, Christine Lagarde, and Gozio Konjo, Iwela, these are women who are not apologetic about who they are in any way. And they're all very different. And you look at, you know, Angela Merkel, all very different. I don't think that a female, female leader has to look a certain way or, you know, uh, wear pink or not or wear gray or whatever, but you hear all these things about how to be taken more seriously. So I think that... Um, pursuing your interest, being at the forefront of what is bringing about step change in the finance industry is very important. And right now, if you're not considering sustainability somehow, then I'm sorry to say, but by and large, you will have to at some point, and at that point, you will be a laggard. Because right now, when you look at sustainable finance, this is the sector within finance where you see the most women. And 
funny enough, I do think that the reason why that is is because it is the nascent area in finance. And at a time when this was, you know, budding, a lot of men didn't want to do it. And they just probably they didn't think that it was uh, serious, uh, serious enough. And now we're at the point where, well, if you have seven years experience in sustainable finance, guess what? You're probably one of the most <laughs> experienced people globally in this area. So I think that just making sure that you are at the forefront of the industry, and I do think the, sustainable, the sustainability is what now an umbrella that will cut across even more than we're seeing within the finance industry. And, you know, claim your space and bring others forward. I love that. That's a perfect note to end on. Uh, Sohe, you've walked us through your journey um, and we're just tremendously impressed with the portfolio and the mandate you carry because it carries the continent. Literally, IFC is doing some transformative work on the continent and it's just so, it's humbling and inspiring to hear that it's a sister who is helping IFC meet its mandate on the continent. Um, and, and, and really just your TTC is our key going away point. The fact that we, you need to find what you enjoy and are good at. You need to keep trying. Uh, you applied for the YPP eight years. Uh, I always see ads for YPP and I'm always like, whoever gets to get anywhere with that thing. So it's fantastic <laughs> to know that Eventually. that program. Yeah, <laughs> eventually it's it's fantastic to know. So pay attention to the calls of Kui. There might be crank calls or whatever, but yeah, it's a prank calls, I should say. But uh, pay attention, you might get a call from an opportunity could be knocking. And then I love what you're talking about being a champion for others, creating that community of banker, backers. Um, at the 2020 Angaza Awards ceremony, we had uh, a speaker, uh, Dr. Nancy Onyango from the IMF, and then we also had Gail Evans, who is a New York Times bestselling author. I don't know if you've read any of her books, Sesohe. Oh, I have not, actually, but now I'm writing it down and thinking I yeah. ought to. Gail has written two amazing books. One that's called Play Like a Man, Win Like a Woman. And and I say, I think that book needs I to be read by any woman in finance. <laughs> and the second book she wrote that speaks to your point about championing others. The second book she wrote is called She Wins you win. And in that book, she talks about what you're talking about, this champion aspect, the fact that we need to we need to support each other and build that community. And the final key point that you've given us uh, a steer on is the aspect about sustainability and the fact that women in finance on the continent really need to consider this aspect of sustainable finance. I love that you said that because I've, I've been championing sustainable finance since 2012 for the industry. Um, and and you're right. This is this is the future of finance. So let's not mm -hmm. be laggards. So I don't know. As we wrap up, any final thoughts and comments to share? I think you know that um, one thing that brings us all together, um, regardless of the industry or subsector in finance that you focus on, is our human story. And it's one that we never discuss within finance until unless, you know, you're at the micro level where you are applying for a mortgage. You know, I need a bigger house because I'm having a baby or whatever, you know, or I need a loan. My mother's in hospital. You know, human stories behind not only what we do, but in aggregate, what the continent is going to. So when you add up all those little things I've just mentioned, there's loans, there's mortgages, everything, there's human story behind that. And I think that it is so incredibly important to look beyond the technicality of what we do every day, which sometimes if I sat and explained to 
even my father, who was a banker, if I explain to him now what you know the bond markets are like, he may, it may make him fall asleep. But bringing the human story to what it is that the raising that finance through those bonds do is a different story. It's like this transition from LIBOR, which is a whole different podcast altogether. And again, a very dry, I would say, um, dry subject for many if you don't work in finance. But of course, the impact on life. So I think my, my, my final point would say would be that when we are doing our jobs to look beyond the role and beyond that technicality of what it is you're doing, derivatives, trader, um, you know, you name it, um, ALM, look beyond that and what the ultimate impact of your role is, how that actually affects people's lives. And I think that that definitely in the end helps give your person and your role more meaning which also means that you go back to the TTC, it's like a cycle, it feeds and you thrive. And then you continue to try and you champion each other. And then, you know, happy world, hopefully, in the end. That is so fantastic. So let's start seeing what we do from a human interest perspective versus the technical aspect, which we often sometimes just get so inundated, just bogged down on. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much, Estohe, for making time uh, to chat with us about your career journey and just to share your experience and your guidance. And we look forward to receiving many entries for the Angaza Awards and we look forward to your, your vote uh, for the top 10 I'm women to very excited in Africa. About exactly. Thank you so much. I am so very excited, really, really thrilled to be a part of it. And to all the women who are listening, put your applications in the view of not as yet. And, and what a tremendous and terrific opportunity. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. 